Welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. You guys, I'm Talia Toha, and this is Six Degrees of Greatness. This is the episode where we sit down with two to three different people from various different backgrounds all over the world, from people who are just starting out to people who are 10, 15, 20 years and so into their journey and their career and their business. That way, you all get to just listen, adapt and adopt and just kind of pick out the good stuff that will work for you. Question for today is, what if you know what you'll have and what you'll get in 10, 20 years time now? What if you know all of this knowledge now? Like what if you can have 10, 20 plus years of wealth of information, advice, and words from others who have gone through successes and their own epic fails, right? And borrow their wisdom, their playbook. And this is exactly why today we're bringing you guys all of the various different lengths of experience from different industries. That way, if you're listening in, you can learn from them. You can just go, you know what? I like that way. I don't like that way. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking to three people, and one of which is James George. James is a 10 plus years business owner who said that he started his business out of a necessity, really, to feed his family and to build a name for himself, which is just amazing. And now, though, James is a published author. He owns G Squared Studios, and he's featured on City View's Best of 2020 award up city marketplace and is named expertise's 2020 best web developers in knoxville tennessee he will be sharing with us a few other key nuggets including the books that he absolutely inhaled and what you also need on your bookshelf and also how to expect the unexpected and the surprise he received when someone opened their door when he delivered pizza you'll never believe what happened when that happened uh, next, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Kate Ricciardi. Dr. Kate basically went from struggling with her own health to becoming a doctor of physical therapy and registered dietitian and nutritionist to practicing, right, for 15 plus years and sharing ways that she said people can try to reduce symptoms by up to 80% in three weeks. So if you're having health problems, this is something to tune into and wondering, okay, how can I fix this? She also shared with us why, like her, you don't have to love to cook to stay healthy. And she also is talk, going to be talking about some foods you didn't know are important so that you can perform at your very absolute best. Now, Tim Porter, last of course, but not the least, he has owned his business for almost 20 years, started his journey with an MBA as a financial consultant, but quickly realized that he has more important things to do, including becoming a marketplace minister. And I'll share a link to his bio and his concept in the show notes if you're curious to learn more about what this means and whether this applies to you. Among many things he's sharing with us, how he was asked to leave a job because he was making too much money. So he's sharing with us how to deal with it, how to deal with the power struggles, right, in workplaces or even in uh, in the context of business, and also what to do if you are in a crowded and saturated place. So growth solvers, without further ado, be sure to hit the follow, subscribe, or even review button if you're already enjoying this and drop with us 
why you're enjoying this so far. I know that Lynn, Alyssa, and Donnie have recently shared reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is amazing. So thank you, you guys, for for sharing your, your thoughts and sharing what you love about the podcast. But more importantly, for bringing us to the top 50s and the top 100s in many countries like Italy, Germany, UK, and many, many more countries that we serve that we're currently already in. For that reason, you guys, let's get started. All right, welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm so excited that all of you guys are here. We have Kate Ricciardi, Tim Porter, and James George. Now, I want to start actually with Kate. We were just talking earlier. Now, Kate is a physician and somebody who is really, really well-versed in the health arena. Now, I want to ask you, because you had mentioned before we start rolling, that you had started this whole journey and passion of yours because you had some health issues, right? And I think we all probably have had our own health issues. And I want to hear what, um, what was it that kind of brought you to, to this journey, to this field? Well, thanks for having me. Um, first, uh, I do want to clarify, I'm not a medical doctor. I have my doctorate in physical therapy. So just to put that out there. Um, but as far as my struggles, you know, for as long as I can remember, I had like stomach issues and acne. Oh my gosh. When I was like 15, 16, it was just horrific. I've tried every single antibiotic. I did Accutane. I did all of that kind of stuff and nothing really ever made anything better. Same thing. You know, I went through all these different tests for like all the different stomach issues. Oh, it's IBS. You're fine. Maybe it's lactose intolerance. And there was just all these different things thrown at me and nothing really worked. And that continued in, you know, you're in college, you're stressed. That's why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Oh, well, you're in a new career now. You're on your own. That's why you're feeling the way you're feeling. You had a child or two and that's, you know, you're a busy mom. And there was just always these excuses thrown at things. So I went to school first for nutrition to really just like get that understanding of everything. And then later on went into physical therapy to really marry the two because everything works together. And, you know, through the course of my time treating patients, it was always, oh, you know, we should talk about diet. I eat this, I eat that. But all of the different diets still don't really seem to make a true impact on chronic conditions like IBS. It's just so misunderstood. And that's one of the things that I really focus on for women and hormones, you know, in these like perimenopausal years where eh, it's just hormones. So you're going to have to deal with it like a rite of passage. And in my own journey to really figure things out, I started looking at why, you know, let's get away from this stop superficial layer and get down to the, why are these things happening? So once I started to dig and do my own research, which was way off the path of anything I learned in school and really got down to this level of inflammation in the body and how the food that we're eating, the stress that we have in our life, our environment, all of these things impact inflammation. And when we can change the things that we're eating on a customized level to get rid of that inflammation, it is a complete game changer. And I, I can personally attest to it as far as skin issues, as far as like my stomach issues and all of that, sleeping, migraines. I mean, it just, it's gone now that I've gone through this process. And so that really invoked in me to start my own practice because it's just so 
what's needed out there, I believe, because it gets down to a root cause of what's going on instead of just throwing all these things on top of it and just hoping something will work. Yeah, this is kind of, uh, this is a bit of a passion of mine on the side. And not a lot of people know this, because I found that especially once I had my kids, they have all these like allergy issues. And now that in in my 30s now, I'm kind of looking at not only my diet, but my lifestyle as well. And that, of of course, affects my business, my work, right? And for some reason or another, uh, any doctors that I go to, it just seems like I I cannot get like one comprehensive um, answer, right? If If that makes sense, it's almost like I have to kind of, okay, I have to assess it myself and have also these different inputs. Is that, do you, do you feel like that's, that's the case, Kate? Or do you feel like, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, for sure. And one of the big things that I say, you know, we are a body like as a system. And so often people just look at this is my specialty. This is what I know. And so I'm looking at whether it's a body part, like in physical therapy, you're a shoulder, you're a knee, you're a hip. No, there's a person attached to that in a lifestyle and stress and what you're eating can affect how you're healing from a surgery. And all of these things need to come together because it all works together. You know, like our heart isn't separate from our kidneys, isn't separate from our digestion. And I've come to find that digestion really is the root of so many of these things. It's like the hub of a wheel. And then all of our other systems and body parts are the spokes there and it's all connected. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this is this is amazing because once you find that thing, right, that kind of that core or something that really, really affects your body. And I feel like everyone probably does have different reactions, right? Like, because that's that's the reason why we keep hearing all these different inputs. Uh, and and I think this is probably true as well from the technical aspect. Right. And and James here, who's on our uh, our conversation here as well. Right. You weigh in on kind of more the SEO aspect of when you when you work with other people and work with businesses as well, that's where you weigh in. Now, I'm kind of curious because as uh, somebody who's also in the business space, a lot of times I'm sure everyone here can kind of raise their hands and maybe concur a little bit here too. A lot of times when you say certain things to people who as an expert, they kind of counteract and say, oh, no, 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 that's not what I need. That's not the SEO that I need, right? Maybe Kate in the health perspective and maybe James, I don't know, it, this, does that ever happen to you in with your clients perhaps or people who come into you for advice with your SEO and, and everything else? Does that ever happen to you? Well, what happens when people come to me is, uh, you know, I've always tried to just look at every client from a granular perspective. So and there's never a business that comes in that fits a mold. Um, for example, for, you know, a, a couple of years back, I thought it might be a good idea to try to niche down and only work with, you know, attorneys, only work with, uh, you know, medical professionals, things like that. And that just, uh, nothing would ever fit a a specific business because every business is different. Um, For example, uh, there's a physical therapy office, um, you know, in my town who um, they are uh, very small. And so their budget is completely different from, let's say, an attorney's office where it's a multi-million dollar a year um, business. So their budget and what their complete strategy from A to Z is going to be completely different from, uh, let's say, a small business like the physical therapy office that just doesn't have the budget. They don't have, uh, you know, 
10,000, 20,000 a month to invest in really, um, you know, aggressive SEO and digital marketing and, you know, pay-per-click ads and Facebook ads and, you know, social media marketing and, you know, X, Y, Z, they just don't have the budget. But, you know, for example, uh, an attorney's office, you know, one client for them could be 10,000, uh, you know, just from that one case. So um, it really, you can't approach everybody with the same perspective. You have to sort of look at it from like a doctor perspective where you're diagnosing, all right, what is their main problem? What are you not getting enough traffic? Okay, you're getting a lot of traffic, but is that traffic uh, relevant to your business? Or is it converting as something falling flat in the middle of the process? Do they get to a certain point and then they're like, wait, no, this isn't what I need. And they walk away. Well, okay, why? Is your messaging, there's something wrong with your messaging. And so you you have to take a wide approach and sort of narrow down to what their main specific problem is and solve that problem for them. And that's, that's why, um, you know, all my clients are extremely happy with my services because I do what is specifically needed for them and I solve their specific problems. Yeah. And I really like that highlight of, you know, starting wide and starting to narrow down. Right. And I think Kate, you touched on this as well, where you kind of go, okay, well, there's this issue perhaps that looks a bit broad, but maybe it's, you know, you start to chip away and kind of get down to the bottom of, of things. Now, speaking of the bottom of things, of course, Tim here is a faith-based business and, and uh, is you mentioned that you're a marketplace minister. Like now explain to, to all of us who are not familiar with that term, what is a marketplace minister exactly, Tim? That's a, that's a great question. And just to add to that, just so, just so folks know that I actually hold my, I have an MBA, uh, obviously in business, and I'm also a registered financial consultant as well. What we've, what I've found is something very simple, and that's that, when you are dealing with people at a root at a root level, there is generally a root cause. And so what I do is I not only dig into maybe financial or operational root causes, but I also dig into spiritual root root causes. And what we have found and what my team has found, because I'm part of a team of ordained of ordained marketplace marketplace ministers um, and uh, mainstream, you know, we'll call it mainstream Christianity for those who are curious, okay, where are you, where are you coming from? And no, this is not a, this is not one of those mail-in things that you can get online and, and marry somebody next Saturday because your family wants you to. This is a, uh, this is a well-known, this is a well-known organization in certain circles in the U.S. and uh, very, very traditional uh, biblical Christianity. And uh, the short version for me is this, is that we have neglected the best business book ever written. Uh, and that is, that's the Bible. And there is so much in there about business. And I personally dive deep into that. And so, um, yes, as a foreordained person, I have, uh, uh, as a minister, I do have the uh, legal right to marry and bury and, and do all that type of thing. But what we found is this, is that if we are really spiritual beings, if we're really genuinely spiritual beings, uh, if you go to a worship service on a Sunday or a, or a, or a Saturday or a Friday night, you go to a worship service some someplace, uh, you know, you don't stop being a spiritual being when you walk out the door. Um, you're still a spiritual being Monday through Friday, nine to five. And so 
we really need to address our the whole person uh, in that in that in that process. So I could say more about that, but that's I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, no, this is great. And I, what I love about today's conversation is that we're addressing growth and, and improvement from different perspectives, right? And I think one of the, the misconceptions that a lot of people have when it comes to work and life, right, the balance of it all, and living a fulfilling life, or even just business, that you have to kind of veer more too much on the maybe tactical or maybe too much on the, uh, the spiritual. And where, when in fact, this is why we come together is because we kind of share and learn from each other, okay, what are some different perspectives and what are some ways that we can adapt and adopt, right? Now, you touched on, uh, Tim, you touched on kind of the core of, uh, of someone, really, like in, in your life, right, and, and what that looks like. And, of course, your perspective is, um, is from the perspective of spirituality. Speaking of root, though, on the other side of root, Kate here has uh, a mishap with uh, a, a tooth. Is that something like uh, some, some kind of situation? So explain to everyone else what this story was. Because when, uh, when I heard it, I, I kind of, I smiled. I can't help yeah. but smiling. <laughs> Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> so um, I always, you know, have prided myself. I take really good care of my teeth. And I've always had like good checkups at the dentist and all that kind of stuff. And the one night I was brushing my teeth and I use like a mineral tooth powder and I ran out. So my husband uses a charcoal toothpaste, which is black. Yeah. And I was brushing my teeth and for whatever reason, like I just opened my mouth and I was looking in the mirror and I was like, oh my gosh, I see this like big black line on my tooth. And I was like, is my tooth, like, did it rot? Like what happened here? So I asked my husband to look and he just looked at me with this like horrific face. He's like, oh, <laughs> So I panicked and it was in the evening and I was like, oh my gosh, like his birthday was the, the next day. And I was like, I need to go to the dentist. Like we had to cancel our plans to go to the beach. I was like, if I have a rotten tooth, like, I mean, I totally freaked out. I mean, just waited for the appointment. Okay. I just worked myself up so much. The fact that I was causing this tooth to have pain. So I go to the dentist and I'm driving there and I was like, you know what? This doesn't like... I was calming myself down. This doesn't really feel like it hurts anymore. And then I thought about the toothpaste. So I go and they do like the panoramic x-ray. They did all the regular x-rays, the full dental exam. They're like, your teeth are perfect. (laughs) Okay. But you do have this deep crevice in your molar. So I think it was the toothpaste because there's (laughs) nothing wrong on x-ray. Like they did everything. So I was like, oh my goodness. Like I seriously worked myself up so much for nothing. Yeah. Well, I actually, I'm curious because why didn't the dentist, because I mean, if it's just a toothpaste, they would have probably looked into your mouth first and be like, oh, that looks like a toothpaste. But I mean, to have gone through the whole, I I don't know, maybe that. Yeah, because I went in, yeah, like I went in saying, you know, there was pain and all of this stuff happening. So, okay, let's make sure we take a good look. And it's a holistic dentist. So they were very much like, we're not going to do anything that we really don't need to. So I appreciated that. And (laughs) You know, they go in now with like the pandemic and all this kind of stuff. You had to like rinse and swish and spit and every, like extra time. And so by the time they actually got in to do the exam, there was nothing on my tooth. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, well, and I think I, I don't know because I've been embarrassed a number of times when I say certain things because I wasn't, you know, really paying attention or something. And I mean, I'm curious, maybe because you're also kind of, you know, you're Dr. Kate and you went in and uh, of course you're not in the dentist, you know, that's not your specialty, but I, I can relate to, 
um, the embarrassment of it all, which, which is, yeah, which is, which is kind of funny, but I don't think, but what's funny is that I don't think, uh, I think James here would probably be able to top that story with his uh, pizza delivery uh, account, which I've, again, when I've heard this, I was like, okay, who is this woman who, okay. Anyway, tell the story, tell the story, because this is, this is interesting. Oh my gosh. So back in college, um, I was a pizza delivery guy and, you know, I made really good money because uh, I hustled, you know, I'd make, I'd make $400 a week um, just working uh, five to 10 uh, Monday through Friday. So it was a really good job. So go on delivery one night and I go to the door and ring the doorbell. And so this um, older woman comes to the door start naked and was like, I, you know, I, I don't want to pay for my pizza. I was wondering if, you know, just seeing me, seeing me naked would be enough to, you know, uh, pay for my pizza. Oh, goodness. And I was, and this woman was not in shape and she was not, <laughs> not and, oh my gosh, it was, a, it was a nightmare. And I was just like, and so I was like, no, ma'am, you're going to have to pay for your pizza. And it was just like to have to have her to watch this woman have like the walk of shame and go back <laughs> and go into her purse and dig out her money. And it was just like I felt bad, like as uh, you know, for her. I felt bad just because I just you know I don't know. I'm kind of a nice person, but I just <laughs> like I felt bad like making this woman get her money out, like you know. Like, you know, you're, yeah, I couldn't tell her that, oh, this is gross and inappropriate, you know, and so it was just like a very awkward situation to have this woman hand me this money, like, you know, and just, it's like an underlying message of, yeah, you're not attractive enough to get away with. (laughs) I felt so bad, but it was just like, on so many levels, it was just like, this is completely inappropriate. Well, I'm kind of curious what you say then to to your, whatever, to your boss back at the pizza shop. Just be like, hey, does this ever happen to you guys? Like, what's that conversation like? There was always, there was always a weird scenario. Like we had um, a strip club that was in our delivery area and I delivered to them constantly. You know, it was like, you know, so it was never like a dull moment, but um, I actually had one of the, uh, the assistant manager is actually in kind of a famous band. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to name drop, but he's in a, in like a fairly big rock band. And so we were all just like, oh, do but, name drop. I mean, now we, now we have to know. <laughs> uh, well, it's in the, oh, gosh, I, he's going to kill me for saying this, but it's, uh, he's in, he was in, he's a band member of 10 years. And so I came back and I told him uh, of, uh, you know, what happened. And he just cracked up laughing. And just, it was just a story for just weeks, you know. It's like, oh, I wonder if you're going to get that lady again. And it was like, oh, my gosh. I just never ending laugh-a-thon about that. Such an awkward because what do you do you know what do you do in that situation yeah nothing oh i'm kind of surprised that you actually do i mean i guess you do have the pizza but if i if i were you i may have just turned away and just you know tell my superiors look the you know the lady is you know cuckoo i don't know if we can do this you know this is a pizza i'm glad you got the money though i think they made notes on her account you know like watch out for this lady she's (laughs) a little odd but uh, there's 
there's not a, there was never a, a situation where, I mean, we just delivered to whoever, unless it was a dangerous situation. Um, yeah. You know, there were apartments that were known for being a little dangerous. And actually one of our delivery guys got robbed there. But we, even after that, we still delivered there. And it was just like, <laughs> really? You know, so, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, at that point, right? And I think that's kind of the the situation too. I think as all of us as business owners, when we listen to these stories, sometimes you kind of wonder, well, you know, no one's going to teach us this in any book or in any podcast or anything, you know, and you just kind of learn by fire sometimes. And I'm I'm glad that, was that one of your first jobs, uh, George, uh, James, or was that kind of something that you've, um, after a couple of jobs, then you went into uh, pizza delivery? Um, yeah, it was just an easy job that I could do uh, during college. It gave me flexible hours and, you know, I was able to make really good money and I could afford, you know, whatever supplies I needed for school and, you know, I could have some fun and, you know, it was a fun place to work and everybody I worked with ended up becoming like really good friends. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it was, uh, I was about 19, I would say. And I worked there for about three years while I was going to college. I mean, so it was a good job. Yeah. Well, and I think I remember a memory from my past uh, pizza related as well. I wasn't delivering, but it was during a reunions. Uh, and you guys know, I mean, you know, back in reunions, sometimes you can get a little out of hand. And, uh, and I happened to man this, this pizza stand. And, and of course, the money's great. You know, people are hungry. But, you know, then people will come in and demand a slice because they're like, oh, this person's been drinking too much. And, you know, and, and uh, so they need sustenance. And I'm like, well, where's the two dollars? <laughs> you know? So it's kind of it's really kind of that uh, ground level uh, lesson for me to learn, OK, well, dealing with people and, and how to kind of conduct a, a business in, in a meaningful way in the midst of this chaos. Right. And um, for you, James, it's a hilarious chaos and I, I think this is one that I'm going to remember forever but um, but Tim here though I don't know if you've ever had something similar like that like Tim's story is that apparently you were was it laid off or fired from a job because you made too much this is this is unheard of I've, I don't know if I've ever heard this before well this this story to me tells tells me and is a great example of what is really wrong with the way people run their companies. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, remind me to come back to vulnerability later when it comes, when it's a because it's a common theme that we've all talked about uh, vulnerability. But in this particular case, you know, I was, I was, you know, first of all, I'm doing very well at this job and doing extremely well at this job. Now this job was about, was almost 30 years ago. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it was yesterday. But I was doing extremely well, and uh, I was hesitant to get into sales, and I got into sales, and I excelled at this particular job. I took very good care of my customers um, and did very, very well. And, you know, the embarrassing thing was, yeah, I, would, I did, you know, I, I was asked to leave the job, and, and I won't make a legal comment on whether or not I should, have, I should have resigned or whether or not I should have let them fire me. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. That's, you know, every situation is different. But what, what I was embarrassed that I, I, you know, I have to go, I have to go home. I have to tell uh, my better half at the time that, oh, you know, well, you're not going to believe what happened today. What? 
Um, you know, I have to tell my friends and, and it's like, it's like everybody, when that type of thing happens, it's like, you know, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's almost like when a pastor resigns, okay, what they do wrong, who they sleep with, you know, what, <laughs> what, what terrible, what terrible thing happened. And that's not always the case. Okay. Um, and what's crazy, just a little bit of backstory on this is that, is that, you know, again, this was 30 years ago and I was making $80,000 a year, eight zero, $80,000 a year in this sales job. Now, if you run, if you pull out your inflation calculator uh, in today's money, it's about 150 grand a year that I'm making it today, that I was making in today's money. And I was making more than the vice president of the company. Uh, the only person that might have been making more would have been would have been maybe the owner, and so the vice president, the financial person, apparently didn't like it. It's kind of kind of the story mm-hmm. that I heard. But as I dug deeper, here's what I found out: is that about uh, about six months later, I get a phone call from somebody who is now working for the company, basically my replacement. They said, "Tim, they fired me." I said, "What? Yeah, I was making too much money." And apparently, they did it to that person, they did it to me, they did it to the person before me, they did it to my boss, and they did it to my regional manager. And so they, because what happened was, was that they couldn't, they couldn't see the forest for the trees, they couldn't see the success that they were having. This is a classic case in a business operational, operational scenario of people not being able to really manage their cash flow and understand the value of people, either understand the value of people in their organization. Now, should I have been making that much money at that age? I don't know. But the thing is, is that's the way their system was set up. And that's the way their commission structure was set up. So maybe they needed to look at their commission structure a little differently. But you don't, you don't shoot the goose that lays the golden egg. That's what I mean. Quite frankly, the competition called me. They go, Tim, what happened? And the competition said, come to work for us. Um, and we went through, we decided just to ignore the non-compete because there wasn't much we could do in that particular, there wasn't much they could do legally in that particular state. I wound up working for the competition and basically uh, sat back and just collected some checks for checks for about a year. It's again, it's it's a it's an unfortunate situation, but it really is a, it really is a great snapshot of, of of business owners not just taking a deep breath and really looking at some root causes, so to speak, of what's really going on. Yeah, this is interesting to me because what happens is, and I've seen this not only it seems in your space, but throughout, right? Because at the podcast, we have so many different people coming from different domains. And I see, occasionally I see similarities as far as maybe not necessarily competition, but saturation and what saturation does to the space, right? And to the people who are amazing and skillful and passionate. And uh, sometimes it drives them away. Sometimes it forces them to create their own business. Sometimes it forces them to do things that they don't want to necessarily do. And it kind of reminded me of this, uh, Tony Shea, of course, uh, former CEO Zappos just recently passed away. His company was bought by Amazon, all these things. And his whole, he really, I think, is one of the leading voices that reformed the the idea of a, an organizational culture, right? And just kind of how important it is and um, how beyond even just taking care of your customers, you have to take care of your employees, people who are in under your wings, people that you work with as well. So it's interesting to hear 
uh, your account from 20, 30 years ago, perhaps things have changed, you know, but occasionally I do still hear these stories of how this saturation really kind of creates this unease in, in the space. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious, though, because I'm not a, uh, you know, a health and in, 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 in the wellness space, Kate, is this something that that your space deal with as well, or is this just kind of, it doesn't really, you guys are fairly, um, uh, I guess, get along fairly well together. Well, I mean, I think depending on who you talk to, it can go either way. I mean, I surround myself with people that believe in community over competition Mm. for sure, but there's definitely the mindset. Like I had an experience once where I was working in a hospital setting and I needed just a chart for a chart review for someone and a physician said to me, even though this chart was on the bottom of a stack of probably 10, no, I need it. I'm like, okay, well, I I just need it really quick. Like I literally had to just amend something. Well, you're just the dietitian anyway. Like this was my stack. You're not going to take my chart, even though it wasn't going to be needed for a a long time to get through all the documentation that needed to be done. And so there definitely is some of that, like, what do you know? You're just the dietitian mm. versus other professionals. Well, I have more schooling or my credential means more than yours. And you know, that's not always the case, especially when you have that, you know, physician or people believe, you know, my physician knows everything. Well, they don't get any nutrition training for the most part. I mean, if someone's lucky to find a curriculum that has a little bit of nutrition component to it, but it's not, across the board. So I run into that more, just the perception of, Mm. you know, the MD has all of the answers for everything. And I feel like that's a lot of weight for someone to put on one person that they are like the all knowing of everything, because that's why all of these different disciplines exist. You know, everyone has to work together because you can't know everything about everything. So yeah, I definitely, I do see that, but yeah, and I always, I mean, I always say that it's easier to just kind of lift every each other up exactly. and grow together and win together rather than, oh, you know, it's it's me or you, you know, that that doesn't seem like it makes sense to me, you know, and yet every now and then, like with your story, you know, you do hear this a lot, but to your point, that perception it seems like it does exist across m- multiple domains. And one thing that really um, uh, that kind of struck to mind when you were talking and you were sharing your story was the time when my kiddo had this really severe allergic reaction. I didn't know at the time because, mm-hmm. you know, we did the well check, we brought her in and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, the doctor that we've been seeing, you know, great doctor, but they didn't say anything about it. And we kept asking, we're like, well, is there something that we should do, pay attention to, whatever? And they just said, no, not at all, until it got to a point where months later, it got so bad that that she was just like scratching her face to, to the point that it bleeds, right? right? Because she was reacting to something. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. So I called a hotline and uh, the person who answered was a nurse practitioner. And within 10 seconds of me uh, describing what's happening and what she's been eating, what she's been doing, what she's been uh, consuming, all that good stuff, the, she, kn- she knew. She's like, oh, it is X. You know, and and we were like, oh, never heard of that before, you know. So we went back, tried a couple of things with her, right, start to kind of maybe eliminate a couple of things. And then lo and behold, the whole thing went away, you know, and we went back to the doctor. And the doctor 
picture is like, well, I've never heard of that at all. So that's curious that that. So I, I was kind of like, that is interesting. You know how this is there. There seems to be like this. Oh, you know, just because we have this degree you know, we know better and don't listen to, you know, so there is almost that, that disconnect. But I think to the point where, okay, well, we do need to try, you know, new things. I think that's, that's good. That's healthy sometimes to, to be open to, to new things. Now, speaking of new things, Kate, you had mentioned that you, you remodeled your kitchen this summer. Is it by yourself or is that with, with a team and people who help out as well? I did it well. You can say my team was my husband watching the children at times, but I love, that's like my stress relief. Like give me a sander, anything I will paint. I mean, that is something I love. So I refaced my cabinets. We retiled, we did a whole bunch of things. We, you know, but it was me. Yeah. Now this is, and this is an undertaking because I, I've always wanted to remodel and do all these things, but I kind of live vicariously through others because I would start something and then it would just, you know, the, the measurements all off and I, it looks really poorly done. So I don't know if James and Tim, have you guys ever remodeled on your own or that's not an area that, that you guys ever do? (laughs) Tim is, Tim is like <laughs> waving his hand vigorously. Nobody says. We, we have an old house and um, the, we had to redo our bathroom um, about seven years ago. And because it, they had, uh, for whatever reason, they had tiled up the wall and then tiled where the window is. And there was a window, I guess, for the steam for the shower or whatever, but they didn't, they didn't seal the tile. So water would go behind the tile and went in the wall. So we had to knock the entire, and this was the exterior wall. We had to knock the exterior wall out and rebuild it. And we put a shower in there instead of tile. And um, so we had to completely redo that. And then I did uh, the tile floor myself. It was this really nice tile and it was really durable tile because I couldn't cut it with nippers. I had to use a tile saw, but here's a little, here's a little tip for you. If you're doing your own floor, your own tile floor, do not mix all the mortar at one time. Uh, I had to, it started to, it started to set on me and I had to like, <laughs> rat, and you know, you use those little tile spacers to, yeah. to do that. I had to, and luckily with being a trained graphic designer, you know, I have a bachelor's degree. I, my site is like on Precise. point, so I line things up visually. I had to pop those things down manually with no spacing, nothing because the mortar was setting up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, lesson learned. Do not mix all the mortar at once. And then tell my buddies about it. They're like, that's the first thing you learn when you're doing tile. That's like awesome. Great. Well, I learned by fire. So, yeah. but luckily it turned out nice though. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of the case, right? With most things in life, you do learn by fire. I remember when, when we used to move a lot, I feel like every single time we move into a new place, you, you make like a hundred trips to, to Lowe's and, and Home Depot within one weekend, because inevitably after you're done with something, you're like, oh, I need that. You know, like for this, I need that for this next step. I need that. Oh, I got to fix this. I got to go back. So it's kind of interesting how, how there's this, like uh, you're expecting the unexpected, I guess is perhaps the, the lesson there. And I wonder though, now Tim and James here, you guys are both published authors. I wonder if that's kind of the same 
or similar process maybe in terms of building your chapters together, building your words together. Did you guys have, uh, you know, words or ideas and concepts? And just for the audience who's listening, who maybe are curious about that, that idea of, oh, you know what, maybe I'll write a book someday. And if they're thinking, oh, it's just a bunch of essays or whatever, share with everyone, what was your experience like building that, that uh, I guess, masterpiece together? The, the process is you got to start with a good outline. You have to outline what you're going to talk about first um, because you can't just jump in and go, all right, well, and write it chapter by chapter. You have to sit down and look at, all right, well, what's the broad topic that I'm going to talk about? And then you have to break it down into uh, topics and subtopics and then even further down into more subtopics under each one of those. And, you know, the closest thing I can relate it to would just be like when you're in English class and you're outlining an essay and you would do the Roman numerals and then the the numbers and then the, the ABC, you know, with those points. But you're doing that with chapters, topics and subtopics. And that's the easiest way that I can tell you to lay out a book. And if you do that ahead of time, then you already know what you're going to talk about. And you already know what the end game is because you can't set out to write a book with no end game. Um, you can't just write it and then never get to the main point of it. Because when people get to the end of your book and they're like, all right, um, you kind of left me at a cliffhanger, they're going to be upset. So it's very important that you make your points throughout that. And then that way you kind of, you stay on track. He doesn't go, you don't end up going off on a tangent that never makes its point. Um, yeah. And I'm, and I'm curious writing. to hear because what you're describing is, okay, this is the structure that I come up with. Right. And that's the outline. Uh, really. I think that's a proven method. And I, I'll have also heard some other people write their books. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Ryan Holiday, who wrote obstacles, the way and a whole under ego is the enemy, all of these other amazing books. He described his process. Yes, there you go. Wow, <laughs> fellow stoicist. Fellow stoicist. I have, I have, and I have the box set back here. I just bought these, actually. I just amazing just, read. Yeah. Amazing yeah. read. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what I appreciate the most about Ryan's work is that he had taken all these high concepts and really distill it into a way that we can kind of uh, understand and easily read because back in college when I was reading philosophy, it was like we had to go to the restricts, restricted section and it's all, you know, it, it smells dusty. Like, you know, you feel like after you get out of the, like that one hour in the library that you're a hundred years old, you know, and that's not necessarily the feeling that you want to get necessarily. Uh, but he, what he, the process that he described was basically similar to yours, although he was he was taking out his chapters and that outline and allowing it to, to be kind of this modular, uh, movable modules, right? And so he puts it in the note cards, which is fairly traditional, which is kind of impressive in my mind to still have that process. He puts all of those out, uh, chapters and topics and outlines in note cards, and he's able to like kind of flip them around, and he builds upon that. Right. So um, how about you, Tim? Is that a similar process or do you have something different? First of all, let me agree with everything that you guys both said. And James, it's just, you know, that's you're right on. And you've got to you've got to be organized in your thought process uh, when you do it. I'm actually going to I want to address this just from a, a little bit different perspective. And uh, yeah, and this and what I'm getting ready to share helped did 
uh, helped me personally, um, and, and obviously other people with the information that with the other information that was written. But um, here's my challenge: I want to issue a challenge to anybody who might be uh, you know listening or watching this podcast right now. Is that is that you? If you think you should write a book, you need to write a book. Okay, the days of the days of of you know only you know the select the, the select elite few our published our published authors are gone, and it is ridiculously simple to publish a book nowadays. First of all, you have a message, and you're unique, and your unique message somebody else needs to hear. And so, I would encourage I would encourage anybody that wants to write write a book to write one. But here's the other here's the other crazy thing that happens in the process is that as a business, if you're a business owner and you're writing a book and you have a, and, and maybe you've got a message that you are trying to deliver to your clients, there is nothing that will hone your message more precise than to put stuff on paper and to write a book. Because most people, you know, I'm sure James is as an SEO expert that you want to make sure that people are getting the message across that they want to get across, right? And so, um, and that they, and a lot of times you've probably run into people that are like, are like, well, you know, I'm not even sure what I'm selling. You know, I thought I was, but you've asked me those questions. Now I don't know what I'm, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so when, if you sit down and you put pen to paper and you write, you write a book, what that does is that solidifies your message, solidifies who you are. And, uh, you know, as business consultants, I see that, I see that a lot that people don't really know who they are or what their, or what their message is. So I would highly encourage if you're thinking about writing a book, just do it. Uh, just jump in. If you don't, you know, listen, I, you know, everybody has different writing styles. And if you think what James said was too complicated, oh, that's fine. Just write. Okay. You can come back. You can organize it later. You can hire an editor and organize your, organize your thoughts later. Um, just get those thoughts on paper because uh, it is so important to write things down because a, you do have a story to tell B somebody else needs to hear it and C um, there's no better way to get to your next stage in life than to write things down. Mm. So this is kind of, this is interesting because you touched on something that I think most people are probably curious about, which is that, that process, that process of publishing it. Right. And traditionally, of course, you go through the publisher and you have to, you have all these advances and all these things. Now walk us through how simple it can be, Tim. And you kind of touched on a couple of, of them. So if anyone listening and be like, Hey, yeah, next year I would like to publish a book. I've been writing a blog or whatever, maybe, put all of those thoughts together like you know one two three what are some of the core steps there tim well it's 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 really simple basically you've got to get basically you've got to get words on paper two you have to two you have to edit it three you have to format it four you have to publish it i don't mean to oversimplify it but i have to in my business so uh i oversimplify things all the time uh so one write two edit three format for publish. And um, the, the bottom line is that if you've, you know, if you've got uh, a couple thousand dollars to put into this process to hire an editor um, and to hire a formatter, um, you can, uh, you can very easily publish, publish a book. The nice thing about a good editor, um, and when I work with editors, I try to, I try to work with editors that know my subject matter and not necessarily editors that just are, uh, that are just good grammar 
people, okay, but I don't, I don't want someone with an English degree. I want somebody who knows my who knows my topic as well. And so when I work with so when I work with an editor, I want somebody who knows uh, who knows my topic because they say, well, is this what you meant here? Explain this thought. Explain this thought further. And so, oh my gosh, talk about honing your message in that process when you're trying to when you realize you're trying to explain something to somebody else. Um, and uh, you know, and again, there's all editors come in all different sizes and shapes and prices. Formatters come in all different sizes and shapes and processes. You can format something yourself with software. You can hire a very expensive formatter for a book. You can hire an inexpensive formatter on on a formatter from Fiverr. Um, you know, all these different all these different processes. You can work with a you can self publish uh, obviously on the on the big guy on Amazon or self publish uh, elsewhere. You can sell you can self distribute. There's there's so many options. There's so many options today. And and I mean I could give you a list of all these of all these vendors uh, because I've done <laughs> what I do is I always do my research then I go with the best option for me. And uh, there's a ton of options out there. So don't be afraid. Just you know jump in. Just start writing to begin with. Okay. It's just you got to start somewhere. So just jump in and start. Yeah, and what I love actually is that your point on working with somebody, whether that's an editor or somebody who self-checks you on, on your writing or maybe if somebody else is thinking about maybe speaking for a living more often and uh, and sharing about their business and that's kind of their MO, maybe on the verbal front, right? But still having somebody to to bounce ideas off or even if it's just a paper and, and in that process, you kind of go through this journey of self-discovery. I can't tell you how many times that I was teaching something uh, in a, a business concept or career concept to somebody and then with just at that moment, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get even more clarity right even though it's already clear clear so it's kind of interesting just having that process of being able to put something externally that that actually is is great so even if you get nothing out of the process you still get that right now i'm curious though kate with in the wellness space uh because i'm i'm more familiar with of course the business books and personal development books what are some canon like what are some things in your canon perhaps that you could share maybe with your, the audience as far as books that we should read that would give us a, a more balanced life right and um, in terms of diet maybe perhaps or whatever else anything that comes to mind Kate? Mm. So I think this is where I would veer off the path um, for most people so a lot of times we think well you know we have this condition or we're experiencing this so we need to like think about the food first but what i work on with my patients is more it's like the 80 20 rule when it comes to food and then mindset so books that really get down to that mindset of things and really getting down getting away from even like fixed mindset versus growth mindset because that still is really at the surface level and then getting down towards like subconscious, your identity, getting away from that ego and all of those things. So having little kids reading books right now, to be honest, is not where I'm at, you know, trying to like run my business and then reading. I can tell you all the kids books that I read, but personally for me right now, like I don't have time in my life to read books. I wish I did because I do love reading, but it's just not there for me. Um, but I would say in general, just mindset you know and getting down to that yeah this is because you can give someone a list of foods but 
why aren't they? It, you know, the question that I come back to a lot is New Year's resolutions fail typically by around that third week in January, right? So if it's as simple as just eat these foods to feel better, well, why don't we do it? Because there's Mm. so much more to it. And it's our subconscious identity that is saying, well, this isn't what we do. So it's going to go for a little bit, but then that part of our brain is just going to take over. So that's where I spend a lot of time in the program that I have for the women that I work with. And we focus on that because, you know, when we have a stress comes in, a lot of times there's emotional eating that comes into play too. So any of those books that can be, you know, mindset related and things like that. Um, Jim Fortin is a big podcast that I listen to and he really goes into all this kind of stuff and it's really inspiring for me. Yeah, it's really about kind of having a long a longevity, right? And that's For really sure. the goal because we always we always jump on something, drop it, jump on something, drop it, and always wondering why is this not working, right? Mm-hmm. And you touched on beautifully this this really the idea that we have to remember. Okay, there's there are bigger issues that we need to address here, right. and if you address yeah. the bigger issues, then all of those other things should come into play, even if it evolves, uh, whatever, right? And but speaking of evolution, what I'm curious to ask you, as since you're the expert here, is I've noticed that throughout kind of you know different generations, there are certain foods, and of course the medical space and the wellness space have also evolved. But there are certain foods that used to be kind of lauded as, oh, this is the, the superfood. Now has become kind of, everyone's kind of like, well, not so much. You know, this is the superfood. And then uh, five years later or whatever, you know, this is the thing. Um, I mean, kale versus spinach, right? And then it's kind of like, I don't know if the, that has something to do also with the more global economy and maybe kale farmers now are more, I don't know, like, do you, do you feel that way as well? Or what's, what's your thoughts there? I mean, there's a lot of different layers to all that, you know, when you get down to anything with marketing, why is someone, and it comes back to that, why, you know, why is someone pushing what they're pushing? Is there truly, you know, the research behind this to back this up now? And this is the thing that we need to go with, or is there some other sort of agenda here? So like one story I remember learning about was, back in like the 40s and 50s. And I didn't know about this until I started working with older women who were told I was shunned and shamed for wanting to breastfeed my child because I was told formula was better. And you had formula companies coming in telling doctors, you know, we need the formula here. Formula is the way to go versus something that like a woman was made to, you know, nurse her baby. And so it's, there are all those layers to it there. So I think if you... You know, you can look at something on its face if you want to, but if you want to take that deeper level, it's like, well, why, why is this person saying the thing that they're saying? You know, just being a little bit more critically thinking about that topic. So, yeah. yeah. And almost taking ownership of right. your own outcome, right? Right. You create the things in your life. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, that's also true. I actually didn't even think of that. That's also true. And I noticed that there's a difference when I start nursing. I, I, I hope James and Tim, you guys are, you know, grown men. So you guys are comfortable <laughs> with this topic, but you know, when we're, when we're nursing our kids, it's uh, I think there are some comments from the certain, uh, certain people who are like, no, actually the formula is better. And there's a school of thought. And so I'm kind of like, well, I mean, maybe it's just different for everyone, you know, like, and I don't know. So it is interesting to see, uh, all of these different perspectives and um, and people kind of having 
kind of conflicting uh, ideas, right? So Mm -hmm. speaking of conflicting ideas, I want to touch, Kate, real quickly on how you're a dietitian and you've shared that you don't actually love cooking very much and that surprised people. Yes, because there's always that conception of, oh, you're in the food space and you're a nutrition, like, don't you just love getting in the kitchen? And I, I mean, I really thoroughly enjoy chopping up vegetables and doing that, but I don't look at cooking as this wonderful task. I see, I mean, it's something that we need to do. So it's funny when people hear that, they're just kind of like, what? Like, you know, I can give you all the information and I'll bake and do all that kind of stuff, but I just don't have the passion in me. And I think that's just how I grew up. Like cooking wasn't a big, enjoyable thing. It was just, you know, something that we did and that was it. So my husband, you know, will talk about things and he will cook it up and he can look at a pantry of what looks bare and create these amazing things. And, you know, he definitely exudes that more than I do. So, yeah. Yeah. And what is, is your husband also in the kind of the wellness and food space or no? No, (laughs) (laughs) which is who he is. Yeah. I mean, hobby is one thing, right? And then right. kind of having you, you have to, the, just that expectations of having to be everything that people expect you to be at your work. Right. right? Yeah. Why? Right. We don't always have to love everything, every single, it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but somebody had mentioned that, you know, you can love, you, you can love your kids. You don't have to like them every day. Right. Exactly. And that's definitely, that resonates with me. Don't sure. like them all every day. I like them most days. You know, right. I do love them. That's no doubt. But right. don't like them every day, you know, and that's fine. And I think that's true as well for business and any in kind of any space, really. We have stuff that we don't necessarily like to do. Uh, right. How about you, James? Anything in your kind of in what you do that you felt like, you know what, I can do less of that, but I'll do it anyway. What are some things that comes to mind for you? Well, you know, a lot of what I've been on the journey of doing lately is um, weeding out the things that I really don't like doing and delegating those. Um, you know, I COVID this year has been a really strange animal to me because it's been a, a blessing and a curse at the same time, um, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but me in particular, um, you know, I just I, I experienced burnout. I was at home with my kids for the first few months of that, um, you know, when they called off school in March in our area, you know, and so uh, the kids were at home and I just, I was managing them and managing my business. I have an office, I have, uh, you know, plenty of space to work, but um, I, you know, I just got to the point where I was burnt out and I'm like, why am I burnt out? And so I read uh, Michael Hyatt's Free to Focus And so it was like, well, okay, so you're experiencing burnout because you're doing things that you are maybe proficient at, but you're not passionate about them. And so, you know, there are things that you have to look at and you're like, all right, why am I getting burnout? Oh, okay. So you're spending a lot of time doing mundane things that you despise doing that need to be done, but could easily be done by somebody else. You need to, you know, so it's like, all right, look at this are you passionate and proficient about it? Focus on those things. Then if you're, um, if you're passionate or if you're not passionate, but you're proficient, but you just can't stand doing it, you need to automate, automate, delegate, or eliminate. And so that's something that really helped me uh, big time this year is to get rid of those, those things that 
I really don't want to do um, that could easily be handled by somebody paying them as it's worth much more to me to have them done and not have to worry about them than for me to agonize over them and dread doing them. And then that just messes up my entire day, my entire mindset. And it, but it getting rid of that also enables me to focus on the things that are important. And that's why my revenue has grown so much this year, despite COVID, because I've been able to get rid of those things that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hate doing this so much. Get rid of those and focus on the things I really enjoy doing and pursue those and get more of that. And so that's, yeah. that's where I'm sure. And I totally agree with your kind of, I think the, other issue is maybe a lot of times we we're not necessarily honest with ourselves, right? We always say, Oh yeah, you know, I can do more of that and all of these things. And when in reality, we know that we don't like doing that particular thing. And I always talk with my students at good grow great that, you know, you always want to spend a ton of time doing the things that you love and spend a timed amount doing the things that you don't necessarily love or like, but need to get done anyway, right? So you just kind of have that limit that you you allocate. You're like, okay, this is it for that. And after that, I'm done. But for these other thing, I, you know, this, this these are things that give me joy, right? How about you, Tim? At 30 plus years in the business, what are some things that you feel is, uh, you feel is very timeless in terms of giving ourselves the time that, that we love, uh, you know, with doing certain things that we enjoy? Well, um, after this conversation that we've, that we've had in the last, last two minutes, um, there is, uh, um, I'm, I'm, st- I'm stuck on something and I'm not sure if it's a direct answer to your question or not, but I'm stuck, I'm stuck on something here. And that is something that um, I have had to learn to do that I don't like to do. And this kind of goes back to mindset, Kate, as, as well. Um, is that, uh, you know, yeah, we're told that if you want to grow, you need to be coachable and you need to be teachable. And, you know, I've been trying to be that way for 30 years. Now, I'm stubborn some days, okay? Uh, but, the, uh, but in order to be coachable and teachable, you have to be vulnerable first. And so you really have to dive into who you are as a being and be comfortable with yourself and be vulnerable with who, with, with who you are. Side note, that's why I like talking about spirituality so much is because I know that no matter how bad I screw up, okay, I have a God who loves me and adores me and, and he's not going anywhere. Uh, but from a vulnerability standpoint, we have to, uh, we have to make sure sure that we are willing to share ourselves in order to in, in order to grow and so as I sit here and I listen to Kate talk about you know what she does I'm sure that the clients that that you work with Kate have to be vulnerable with you especially when you start with this mindset and you're talking about health and you get to the point where you know you talk about things like well I was shamed for x y and z years ago and so um, you know and yeah that's 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 unfortunate I shoot I, you know it's crazy the sounds in my story I was shamed for being successful so uh, and that happens a lot today too being shamed for being successful so you have you've got to be vulnerable when you work with you know, when you're even when you work with a professional like James at SEO you have you know when you when you have got to be you've got to be vulnerable you know and I and and James can only be good at what he does is if you're if, if you're 
clients, James, tell you the full story and tell you everything that's going on and tell you everything they've done wrong. If they come to you for some type of, of marketing stuff that has, has to do with online and, you know, three months down the road, you stumble onto some old marketing they did that's still floating out there in the, you know, in the internet stratosphere someplace. And, you know, it's going to backfire on them. Well, you know what, you got, you kind of got to break that down and, and yeah, maybe they were embarrassed that they did it, but they need to come back and, and tackle it again. And, and I'm sure you can explain that much better than I can, James, for your, for your business. But if, 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 if a client engages with me or with James or with Kate, if the client's going to engage in order to be successful, yes, they must be coachable and teachable, but they've got to be vulnerable. And so, um, you know, please be vulnerable with who you are, with yourself, who you please be vulnerable with your significant other, uh, with your spouse. Okay. Which means you may not want to hear what somebody's what somebody's saying, but you've got to be calm and take that and take that in. And the growth process can happen once you're vulnerable and once you come to root causes like we've been talking about. Yeah, this is a great point because I think the the teachers can only teach so much if their students are willing to receive it, right? And and are willing to kind of adapt and adopt, as I, I always say. Is, uh, and because, and it doesn't have to be exactly how the teacher says it, but it's kind of like, okay, well, those are elements and principles that I can then, then apply or whatever. And I love your emphasis there, Tim, on, okay, People, I think Ramit Sethi talks about this, uh, where, you know, we spend so much time looking for the right mentor, but we never really think about how to become a good student, right? And so that's kind of actually some of the how to become unstoppable is to always be able to kind of move up that scale. And by doing that, you have to be able to kind of receive, right, and have a, a perspective that that is adaptable. Now, believe it or not, you guys, this is the conclusion of our conversation. I have had so much fun. And so for those of you guys who are listening, don't forget to follow and subscribe. I'll share the links to Kate, Tim, and James, and all of the good stuff. That way you guys can connect with them. And until then, Growth Solvers, let's get growing.